0: This morning we'll continue with mindfulness breathing, but this time shift to the method taught by Asanga, who as I recall he's pretty close to a contemporary of Buda- Buddhagosa and similar stature but he of course coming from the Mahayana tradition. So you're familiar with the practice, it's the awareness of the sensations of the prana the subtle flows of energy correlated with respiration as they arise throughout the entire body. Now this is to draw a, a parallel, we're getting kind of a facsimile, microcosm, macrocosm kind of thing. When one is engaging in Dzogchen meditation, for example, the, really, the truly authentic meditation on the threefold space, the outer, inner, and secret, what one is seeking to do here is to, of course, view these three spaces, which are indivisible, of the same nature, view them from the perspective of rikpa, right? pristine, pristine awareness. Um, and in a sim- so I won't elaborate on that, right? But but that's the idea. Did we lose it? It's, it's still there. Uh, you release all grasping, not only to your coarse mind, your ordinary mind, the one that we think is my mind, um, but also release all grasping on that much subtler level of the substrate consciousness. Releasing even that, and then breaking through the substrate consciousness too, to rikpa which is difficult to do if you haven't even ascertained what the, what the substrate consciousness is. But maybe it's not impossible. But here we are back to shamatha, good old ordinary kind of ordinary shamatha, right? back to our little VW bug. And the... But analogous to the threefold space meditation, where you're seeking to view those three spaces, the threefold space, from the perspective of rikpa, analogously here, we're seeking to view, in the practice of shamatha, we're seeking to attend to whatever the meditative object is, to the best of our ability, from the perspective of the substrate consciousness. Because that's where we're going. Right, That's the whole point, is to dissolve the coarse mind into substrate consciousness. So again, in that taste, that kind of that flavor of taking the fruition as the path, the more we can emulate, the more we can approximate the perspective of substrate consciousness on whatever our meditative object is, of course, that's going to facilitate our getting there. Insofar as our way of viewing the meditative object is really quite in contrast to or in- incompatible with the, the nature of the substrate consciousness illuminating the substrate, it kind of stands to reason it's going to be more difficult, right? So, in this practice, we are, again, shamatha always being selective. In this practice, we are withdrawing the awareness from the surrounding environment, everything outside of our skin, frankly, that is the entire surrounding environment of sounds, of smells, taste, and, and sight drawing it entirely into the tactile, into the tactile field, and within that field, while we are having kind of a sheet lightning type of awareness that is seeking to illuminate the entire space, selectively within that space, now that we've chosen that space as opposed to uh, visual, auditory, and so forth, having selected the tactile space, which we're attending to with tactile perception, but of course, most importantly, with mental consciousness because you achieve shamatha with mental consciousness, not with visual or any other sense perception. Having selected this domain, within that domain, there's a wide variety of sensations, sensations of earth, water, fire, air. We're familiar with that already. But within that whole, that kind of that noisy crowd, within this whole array of sensations arising, there is, that's kind of like the background radiation or the background, the white noise, so to speak. Uh, But within that field, then what we're selectively attending to are the sensations of the flow of prana. Again, strongly correlated with the breath. And as the whole system calms down, the whole body-mind calms down, and the volume of air that you need diminishes, the sensations of the breath become subtler and subtler, and that's what you attend to. But now, in what manner do we attend to these sensations? It's not complicated. And that is, we're not having the uh, our awareness, that is optimally, we don't have our awareness kind of leap off its throne and say, oh, let's scurry out there and look at the body. Oh, look, I feel some sensations of the breath in my leg. Let's go down to my leg and check that out for a while. It's not like that, right? Recall this very important statement. I can't remember where it was from. Maybe the Vajra essence, most likely. And that is that the substrate consciousness illuminates its object but doesn't enter into it. Remember that? It illuminates but does not enter into it. Now, that not entering into it is precisely the absence of grasping. Precisely the absence of grasping. The quality of awareness, again, to repeat the aphorism, is let your body be still like a mountain, your awareness still like space. So space, if space was looking over at Jude, it wouldn't say, oh, doesn't Jude look nice? And then kind of wrap around Jude. Space doesn't do that, right? Space is just present. So appearance of Jude or Gonzalo or whatever just arises in the space, but the space has no preference. It doesn't go more towards Gonzalo rather than Jude or vice versa. So similarly, you just rest in your own awareness. It's illuminating, specifically, or with most interest, the space of the body. Within that, illuminating the sensations of the flow of prana, but it's not moving. right? So again, once again, we have that stillness and motion, the awareness of the stillness of your own awareness and the motion of the sensations, the flow of prana, correlated with the respiration. That's enough. Let's practice. I think the practice is quite clear, so let's have this session in silence and no need to record. Olasso. Let's cover another of these nine attentional states, or mental states, leading up to shamatha. The fourth one is quite a turning point it's a real marker, and that is, it's called close attention. So the attention is closely applied to the meditative object here, and the real, the real benchmark here is that, in terms of what is achieved, is that you no longer completely forget your chosen object, your meditative object. Now, of course, that has to have some qualifications to it, but at this point, for example, your sessions, the duration of your sessions, may be something like 40 minutes, an hour, maybe longer and throughout the course of your session, in your normal session. Again, you could get sick, you could have some real big noise in your environment, stuff can come up, in which case you may have some bad days. You may have some really good days when you're kind of popping up to stage five, perhaps. But your normal days are ones in which you sit, you sit down or you lie down, whatever your posture is, you get, you get really into flow. There's, now's, now's the time to use the word flow, the psychological term. Where you slip right into the stream of the, of the meditation, and you just have that sense of just an ongoing engagement, a continual engagement. Now, there's medium and subtle excitation, which we'll get to fairly shortly, not today, but soon. But in terms of course excitation, in your normal sessions, you just don't have it, it's just not happening. You're not, that is, whatever comes up in the mind, kind of the pulling of your hair, so to speak of excitation, rumination, and other distractions from the sensory fields. They impinge upon your awareness, but you don't have the sense that you're completely thrown off. So, for example, I could be focusing on Jim, and I am aware of there's Maria Elena over on the side, and I think that's probably probably Camilla that just scratched her head, and uh, there's somebody moving over there, and somebody moving over to my left, and so forth. But I haven't lost in midst of that, even though I'm being kind of pulled hith- hither and yon, By movements by other people in the room, because my my visual field, of course, covers actually, I think, everybody in the room. Um, I'm just not losing sight of. He's in the center of my attention. I'm not losing sight of what I'm attending, wishing to attend to. And so, in a similar fashion, you don't simply forget entirely for the whole set in in your normal session. You don't entirely forget your object. That's your subjective experience. So this is very, very first person. Okay? And then The power by which you achieve this, of course, is now, again, mindfulness. With the power of mindfulness, you were able to achieve stage three. And then with that same power of not forgetfulness, really not forgetfulness, retention, recollection, continuing to bear in mind. And that means the instructions. But now more and more, the instructions are kind of so woven into your awareness that it really is overwhelmingly not forgetting your object, an ongoing flow of recollection, of retention, of bearing in mind your meditative object, okay? And that's how you do it, by the, power, the, the mental faculty of mindfulness, okay? And so what problems persist is there's some degree of complacency. So now it gets interesting. Some degree of complacency concerning your samadhi, concerning your very, very focused attention. And that is you get to this point of flow, this point of just kind of ongoing continuity on a course level, but nevertheless, you really feel, hey, I'm no longer a total beginner. You know, I'm maintaining a real continuity here, and when you do that, you plunk down and uh, it needs less effort than it did in stage three, and less effort than stage two and so forth, um, that you can kind of sit back a little bit. Instead of sitting, I'll try to do a cartoon of this, instead of really maintaining your optimal level of vigilance, you're saying, oh, I got the hang of this, and then kind of going hmm, like that, sitting back a bit, getting a little bit, again, complacent a bit, not so sharp. It's not to say you'd be really tight, of course, but you can be a little bit too slack. And the complacency, I think, is exactly the term. So that's an issue. Because bear in mind, up to this point and including the stage four, there's still no reference to laxity, not in these bullet items, you know, the, the kind of the, the benchmarks in terms of these. The, it's just coarse excitation, coarse excitation, coarse excitation. Stage four, congratulations, you're no longer suffering from coarse excitation, right? But what about laxity? Dullness, you really should have been warding off because that's just really gross. You're getting sleepy. Your mind's getting really torpid. Um, but, of course, excitation is gone. Well, what are the attentional... So what should kick us out of our complacency? You should recognize that there are still attentional imbalances. So you may think you're a pretty, pretty, pretty darn good meditator by now. Look what I can do. I bet you can't do it. Um, but then you do recognize, hey... You're on stage four here. This is why we're learning the map. So you don't think that you've already achieved shamatha. You might. If you didn't know the nine stages, you might think, hey, shamatha, single-pointed, really focused, very calm, very peaceful, pleasant. This might be shamatha. It'd be very easy to think, right? But you won't think that if you've heard and understood the four stages. So now you understand, okay, why shouldn't I be complacent? Why shouldn't I think I've already achieved shamatha? because there are still attentional imbalances, such as, and now we, now we start responding to Susie's question about these different levels. So what are the attentional imbalances to which you're still very much prone is what we'll really be focusing on here is coarse laxity. And of course that's, of course that means there's also medium and subtle, but we're not going to worry about that yet. And again, this is, the, this is the issue of breaking the big problem down to little problems. Don't worry about medium laxity, let alone subtle laxity. You won't even, it's, it's off, your, off, your, off your radar right now. Think about coarse laxity. And now that you know what it's like, how nice it is to be free of coarse excitation, now consider, what's, what's medium excitation? Because that's still there, and you have to recognize you need to sharpen your knife. You need to continue sharpening the knife all the way to shamatha. It's, it's not sharp enough to get to shamatha with this. And so we're going to go now, I'm going back, just down so I get, uh, the, so coarse laxity, and medium excitation. So with coarse laxity, the attention, so I'm going to to lower in the notes here, with coarse laxity, the attention mostly disengages from the object due to insufficient vividness. Now, the disengagement. The term laxity, so now we're dealing again, this is a technical term, like we have lots of technical terms in all the sciences and so forth and so on. This is now a technical term, right? And laxity, this coarse laxity, when it says it disengages, OK? Uh, again, Jim's right in front of me. So let's say he's my meditative object. So there are different ways I can disengage from the meditative object. And one is, again, I'm going to do a cartoon, one is I can be subject to excitation. I say, oh, there's Emery. Oh, look, there's a light. Oh, look, what's that sound? Oh, that's air conditioning. Oh, Oh, oh hi, Jim. And so that's one way to disengage is I've got bumped. And I'm off to some other object, right? That's one way. So that's excitation. But now there's another way. There's another way to disengage. And again, for those of you who can see me, I'm going to do a cartoon. So here I am really attending very closely to Jim mm, without coarse laxity, without co- coarse laxity. And now you want to see an embodiment of coarse laxity? See, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't look over at, at, at the Lorena or, or over over to Peter or anybody. I didn't, I didn't go anywhere except the word laxity in Tibetan is jingwo, which means to sink. To sink. And so there I was. I came out and met Jim face to face. Boom. Really engaged with that. And that's the nature of mindfulness. It meets face to face with this meditative object. So there it is. You can see I'm doing that. And then I'm I'm not getting distracted excited, or excited or you know excited, but I'm imploding. That is, you saw that liftoff almost almost like my my attention was a helicopter that landed on Jim and then it kind of hovered and then is fading in. Okay, now that's a slippery slope. It goes from coarse laxity to dullness to sleepiness to snoring, okay, to falling asleep. And so, but this is liftoff. This is this disengagement, and I'm mostly, with coarse, ex- coarse laxity, I'm mostly disengaged. Just kind of like, well, you saw it, and you know what it's like. That's just a cartoon. But now you know what it's like. Yeah, I'm kind of, touch, I'm kind of in touch with the object, but not much. I'm kind of ke- keeping my pinky, you know, keeping my little finger in touch with it. So that's, I think it's very vivid the attention mostly disengages from the object due to insufficient vividness that clear and sharp engagement so that's very clear and then in terms of looking here oh yeah that's going to be and then in terms of excitation cor- uh, so of course excitation ex- excitation you know completely complete disengagement medium excitation this is where involuntary thoughts so the rumination occupy the center of attention while the meditative object is displaced to the periphery All right, So you have a sense, again, on a coarse subjective level, we're not going to micro-analyze this right now, just keep it really experiential, but with the totally first-person subjective experience of this medium excitation, you're still in touch with the object. You're still there, but now I'll I'll say, okay, Emery's just a little bit to the right of Jim, so I'm actually much more interested in Emery because Emery's doing something much more interesting than Jim is. And Emery's doing a little song and dance here. Hello, do doo da Don't you want some entertainment? doo doo do doo da And Jim's just going, Ho ho ha, ha, ha you know, mindfulness of breathing. Whereas Emery's much more entertaining. And so I'm kinda like, I am with you, Jim, but not really, ha ha. And Emery, what's up, dude? You know. And he's doing this whole song and a dance and it's much more interesting than, than Jim. And so I'm kinda keeping in touch with Jim, just kinda like, you know, I'm with you I'm with you, dude. But Emory's really caught my attention much more. So Jim is off to the periphery, and Emery's really at the center. And you know that's like rumination. You're mostly entangled with rumination, but you're kind of taught with mindfulness breathing. You're tapping in. It's okay, breath. I got you. got you covered. You're not doing anything in and not noticing. You're in and out. You know, I, kinda, I get it. But this is much more interesting. Rumination. Oh. So everybody understands medium excitation, right? No mystery there. Okay? And so what to do? Well, now comes the balancing act which I'm not going to elaborate on much now. But the balancing act, we've always had a balancing act, even stage one, right? Relax more deeply, don't lose the clarity with which you began. It's a balancing act. If it's not a balancing act, it's not shamata. If it's not selective, it's not shamata. So you know if you're on that stage four, but now you see you have a bite-sized problem. It's not achieve shamata. it's work on coarse laxity. How do you do that? How do you counteract coarse laxity? And you do see, oh, I've kind of imploded here. What do you do? Well, you have my three R's, if they're useful. I made them up, but I don't think they're really, you know, wacko. And that is, refresh your interest. Because clearly, I've lost interest in Jim. If I'm more interested in Emery, then I've lost interest in Jim. And so refresh your interest. And this is a meta-interest. A meta-interest. William James wrote quite brilliantly about this. And that is, there can be different ways that we attend to an object with interest, and one of the ways is that the object itself is really interesting. That's easy, like a really fun movie, or beautiful music, or really delicious meal. Whoa, this is really good. I want to pay attention. So we may pay close attention to something because it's interesting. That's easy. This is a great challenge of teachers throughout the world, for kindergarten, right through postdoctorate and lamas, and swamis, and everybody else, if you're teaching, you would like to be able to engage the interest of those listening so they really want to listen to what you're saying, right? That would be one of the signs of one one way to teach. Teach in an interesting way, right? But that's not the only way we engage our interest. I'll give an example. If you're a medical a medical student and you have in your you have in your mind a vision of what you would like to do once you become a medical doctor, let's imagine it's really wonderfully altruistic. And you have a vision. I'd like to be working for Doctors Without Borders. I'd like to be making just enough money to get by. But I'd really go- like to go out there to uh, underprivileged countries and really be of great benefit. But I need to get those skills. right? And maybe I'd like to be an eye doctor. I've heard about the wonderful work eye doctors do with people with, you know, with, with um, eye problems. That's what I'd love to be able to just offer those. And so that's going to be my specialty. I'm going to be an eye doctor. Okay? So it's wonderful. And so when you're learning, when you're getting your medical training, learning about the eyes and vision and all of that, wow, this is just what I wanted to know. You know, you're really an eager beaver, because this is what interests you. This is what I really want to know. I'm so interested in the eyes, vision. It's so cool. But of course, if you're getting a medical degree, you have to learn about the liver and the intestines and a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really directly pertain to being an eye doctor. I mean, it's out there in the field, but you're not going to get your medical degree. If you say, I don't want to know about that stuff, I just want to know about the eyes, because I want to be an eye surgeon. Well, you'll never become an eye surgeon. So you'll study about the kidneys and the liver and the, how you evacuate feces and urine and so forth, um, and you'll study it with interest. Not, you may have no interest in that whatsoever, the gastrointestinal tract. Zero. Because you want to be an eye doctor you have been inspired by somebody who's doing that kind of work. You know? uh, you're going to study the gastrointestinal tract because you'd really like to help people as an eye doctor. And you will take an interest in this now, because you want to score well in your exams. You can get through and get your, get your degree, get license, and all of that. So you're interested in it for something that's not evident, because you're learning about intestines and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a, it's a meta-interest. right? So similarly, if Jim is my the sensations in and out flow of the breath, or the sensations of the prana flowing through the body, in terms of sheer interest, um, Kind of, you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? One in-breath, next out-breath, and so forth, and so on. But if you're really interested in, let's say, achieving shamatha, you've heard about the achievement of shamatha and how how superb that would be to actually experience that. How good for you, how inspiring for other people. And then, of course, that's just the launching pad. Then you can think, wow, then to achieve the path is really viable. I could develop authentic bodhicitta. I could really then be much better prepared to realize realization of emptiness. And I could, wow, man, Jim, come back, come back. You know, I'm ready. I'm with you. Just go ahead, do your thing. I don't care how boring it is. I really want to do this practice. You know, and Emery, sorry, but you're no longer as interesting. You know, there we go. So you refresh your interest, you restore your attention, and then you retain your attention because you know you can't just kind of poco stick onto it and then bop up again. You never achieve shamatha that way. So, it's refresh, restore, and retain your attention, right? With that clarity, that real engagement. But on the other hand, you're also suffering from or prone to this medium excitation. So, Emery's still kind of interesting. So, what do I do with that? What do you do in response to excitation? Well, you already know it's relax. And then, so relax. So, there he is, but relax, you know. So release the relax, just that. Loosen up, and then release that fixation on the, whatever the rumination or the distracting object is, and then return. Okay? So now you really have a balancing act. Because the one starts, on the one hand, you're supposed to relax, but on the, that's for excitation, of course, but for counteracting laxity, it's refresh. Relax, refresh. That sounds okay, not incompatible, but they're not the same. Refresh your interest, but relax can be done. It can be done. Otherwise, nobody would ever achieve shamatha. But here you go. Now you see, oh, this is a bit more complex, isn't it? Not complicated, but it's a little bit more complex. Multifaceted. That while maintaining that flow of attention, when introspectively, I'm aware that medium excitation, I thought everything was hunky-dory because I was free of course excitation, but I say, oh yeah, that is a problem. That's a lot of noise. That, alright, noticing that then I need to relax. But then I see, on the, then, you know, one minute later, I'm starting to implode into coarse laxity. Whoop, oh, refresh. And so there you are. Now you're really a balance. It's really a balancing act. Okay. You're getting a professional here. Okay. This is no longer novice novice work. So that's, so getting clear, isn't it, Susie? Getting clear, yeah? Very cool, isn't it? Yeah. This is largely because of Ghen Lam Rumba. I mean, I've studied the great treatises like Tsongkhaba's Lamrims and so forth, and those are really definitive. But then 25 years ago, then I got to live with Gan Lamrimba. I wasn't just his next-door neighbor up in the mountains above Dharamsala, but I got to live in the same house with him during a one-year retreat that I organized, and he was the teacher for that. And then he began the one-year retreat by giving superb oral instructions based upon a lot of experience to the 12 people who took one year out to just focus on shamatha. So that became the book... Um, I think it's what it, they called it by a couple of names. I think it's called Calming the Mind, the latest version, Calming the Mind. And then he really unpacked these different levels uh, from the oral transmission. Oral transmission. And then that, of course, I translated for him. It was written down, became a book. It's been in print for 20 years by now, I imagine. It's a good book. And he's focusing on, just as a matter of interest, he's focusing on, he's giving the example, according to the Lumrim literature, uh, focusing on a Buddha image. But he's the one that really unpacked the coarse-medium-subtle aspects. I think so helpful. Again, breaking down a big problem into little problems. So attentional imbalances that are still persistent there, you really need to attend to, you need to remedy, are coarse-laxity and medium-excitation. The type of mental engagement is, again, interrupted, as it was on stage three. Remember, stage three, you finally have some continuity, which is broken, interrupted by coarse-excitation. Right? Now you're on stage four, you say, oh, now I'm not interrupted anymore. Yes, you are. You're interrupted by, interrupted by medium excitation and by coarse laxity, both of those interruptions to a real optimal flow, a good flow of attention. So it is interrupted, but the quality of achievement here, the quality of experience is a sense of achievement. Uh, previously, it was movement on stage three because you're still having that sense of being moved off Uh, moved off the object and so forth. Now, bearing in mind, these final two, I'm just going to remind you, the final two, the quality of experience, and the metaphor used are really specifically for settling the mind in its natural state. Remember that? Uh, And so on stage four, at this point, slowly, slowly, slowly through stages two and three and then finally four, uh, the quality of experience has shifted. Even though you're not suppressing or trying to diminish the sheer volume of activity of the mind, as you well know, you just let it be. Nevertheless, now the, the mood, the feeling of the experience now has shifted. Instead of just being, wow, that's a lot of activity. Boom, 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 like just getting beaten up all the time. Such a flow, like you know, like a falcon facing into the wind, but it's really gusting and gusting and gusting. Lots of movement. Now that shifts. The quality shifts. And as the, this is generations of yogis reporting this, so we have a big database. Uh, the quality, of, what's it feel like? If Somebody said, what's it feel like? And said, well, the answer is, I feel I've really gotten somewhere. I'm no longer just there as a rank beginner, just dealing with the same old stuff all the time. No, I feel I've gotten somewhere, some sense of achievement, like, whoa, this is pretty good. Now, in that practice, of course, you're facing that ongoing flow, thoughts, images, memories, and so forth, but you're... You, you don't lose your awareness. You, your, your mindfulness of the space of the mind, your mindfulness of what's arising here and now in the mind is unbroken. It doesn't. You don't lose it. You're not carried off entirely off to the referent of the thought or to a sound or tactile sensations, totally forgetting the space of the mind and its contents. Right? So you have that sense of achievement, like, whoa, I'm really, I'm really stabilizing here. There's, this, there's a, a real ongoing stillness of my awareness, even though, of course, there's still thoughts and images coming up. And now the metaphor also changes. And that is, remember, it was cascading waterfall for the first three in this settling in a natural state. And now a new metaphor. So I, oh, finally a shift. That's why I said this is benchmark. This is a real turning point, the stage four. And the metaphor used here is like thoughts, these involuntary thoughts or rumination, are likened to a river quickly flowing through a gorge a river quickly throwing, flowing through a gorge. And so this would be kind of like a mountain brook where there's a lot of white water, a lot of volume, but it's not that sheer chaos of a, a, of a, of a cascade just plunging over the side of a cliff and all over the place. It has more, more closure to it, not so much not so much chaos. Okay? So like a river quickly flowing through a gorge, which means quickly flowing, you, you can imagine a lot of white water, a lot of splashing and so forth and so on. Okay, that's it. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> so, you've had three days for the first three, so get cracking. Stage four today, huh? Eh? Maybe, maybe not, but seriously speaking, now we, we're, getting, we're getting the lay of the land. We're seeing what the map looks like. And if you're on stage one or two, be happy with that. You're doing very well on stage one or two. But you know that's the direction you're going. And you can look at that and say, is is this unimaginable? Is this so like, you know, like Dharmakaya and the union of Dharmakaya and something? That's maybe a little bit unimaginable. But is this unimaginable to think that, you know, if you persisted in the practice as you have been for the last month, that over some time, that you might get a taste of this? You might have a session where you just get into flow and say, whoa, that was pretty cool. I didn't forget the object for the whole 24 minutes. I think this is not unimaginable. Even if you've, and some of you may have had the experience, even those you've not say, well, that's, that's challenging, but that's, well, that could be done, right? And that's the idea. That's the idea. That even if you haven't achieved it yet, well, that could be done. Probably will take some real continuity of practice. And that's what we're here for. Enjoy your day. See you at 4.30.